Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, any update, are we okay? Do I need to say anything about overflow rooms? Anybody that's in the know about that? Good. All right, here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna answer one question, and that question is gonna be beaten into our bones the whole, what, two hours that we got left. Um, it goes like this. Oh yeah, somebody wants it. Somebody wants me to keep going. Somebody, that wasn't Ty, I know I can tell you that. All right, what holds you back? That's the question. What holds you back? Are you getting that? What holds you back? So after Pearl Harbor, Hoyt Jr. talks his younger brother Marv into enlisting just like he did. It'll be good for you, Marv. You need this, Marv. But thinking to himself, it's like, it'll finally straighten you out, Marv. It'll keep you out of trouble, Marv. So Marv becomes a flyboy, an infamous flyboy. I mean, back in those days, being a flyboy day is like unbelievable, right? To be a pilot today is phenomenal. But how about when you still don't know if these things work? Whole new dimension, right? Whole new dimension. So he becomes a flyboy, very skilled. He gets shot down over a Japanese island called Chichijima, not Iwo Jima, Chichijima. Those of you who are familiar with history know that that is a notorious, infamous island for what happened there. The official story that was told to his family and friends is that he died in the crash. But Big Brother Hoyt Jr. knew the real story. He was unspeakably tortured for Weeks upon weeks. And then eventually, he's beheaded. And then he's cannibalized. Big brother Hoyt Jr. never recovers from that. He dies at the age of 38. Despair and alcohol. Susan, his daughter, learns the real story when there's a book being written called Flyboys in 2003 by a guy named Bradley, James Bradley, who wrote Flags of Our Fathers. You might remember that book. When she hears the true story, she doesn't say a word. And then she says... So that's why when I was a little girl, my father was always alone in that room at night. He would sit there in the dark just smoking, drinking, and crying. What holds you back? What despair holds you back. He is the holiest man in American history. Everybody knows this. I mean, if you read a biography about him, you feel so small spiritually. I've read several. I don't know why I do it. It's almost like a grueling test. I read a biography about him, and I'm like, I just feel like a lousy Christian. I feel like a small Christian. I feel like a spiritual, shrunken person. Uh, he led the greatest spiritual awakening in American history. He's written what many 
seem to argue are the greatest works in American history. He is considered the greatest pastor and theologian in American history. I'm still trying, still trying to compete for that title. But in his journal, he confides, my wickedness as I am in myself has long appeared to me perfectly ineffable. I had to look that word up, and it means too overwhelming to be expressed or described in words. So even when he's describing something wicked, it sounds so beautiful, right? When I look into my heart and take a view of my wickedness, it looks like an abyss infinitely deeper than hell. Who is he? Jonathan Edwards. What holds you back? Does depravity in you hold you back? How about this? Does fear hold you back? Does a failure hold you back? Does shame hold you back? Does someone, a relationship hold you back? Does a sorrow hold you back? Does a loss hold you back? Does your dead dreams hold you back? Does the culture hold you back? Bad ideologies, bad institutions, bad leaders. Or how about this? Does God hold you back? Where are you, God? How long, God? Oh, God, do you even care, God? What holds you back? The answer is before us in this text. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. All right, those who were with us on Friday night, we focused on 22 and 23. Today we're going to focus on 24, but we're going to read the whole thing. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh Lord, we ask that you would shine on this page. And we ask you to shine on this page because you shone in a tomb 2,000 years ago. So, God, show up. Jesus, would you speak us back to life again? Because you're the only one who can. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So, what holds you back? Let's put up verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Every time I read this text, like even right now, I'm reading this text and it absolutely blows me away. And you're saying, Jeff, why would this blow you away? Because this is the beginning of the church. This is how church begins. This is the very first beginning of the church 2,000 years ago. So what is church? It's amazing because this is telling us exactly what church is. Hear these words. Doesn't that blow you away? 
the beginning of the church and Peter stands up, the apostle stands up and he's preaching for the first time and the church is being formed and this is what he says, hear these words. No one saw that coming. How about hear these steps? Hear these surrenders? Hear about Abraham? Hear these words. The church's words. And the question is, what words? And the answer is new words. These are the first words in the history of the church. These are the first words not messed up by 2,000 years of interpretive losers. These are the first words not lost in 2,000 years of weird traditions and theological agendas. So this is incredible. Whatever comes out of Peter's mouth next is real Christianity, unfiltered Christianity, pure Christianity. And so many of us are always wondering, we want to know, like, what is real Christianity? What is it? Do you want to know what real Christianity is? Here it is. Here it is. Hear these words. What words? Answer. Not just new words, but powerful words. In other words, these are the first words in the history of the church to address what holds you back. These are the first words without 2,000 years of interpretive losers behind them addressing what holds you back. These are powerful words. I just want to strike while the iron's hot so I got some practical help here. I just want you to think about this. Does despair hold you back? Uh, does depravity hold you back? Do fears hold you back? Does a failure hold you back? Does someone hold you back? Does the culture hold you back? Does sorrow hold you back? Does God hold you back? The Apostle Peter, the Bible, God, is saying to you right now, hear these words. Hear these words that loosen chains. Practical help number two. Have you ever wondered what preaching is? I mean, seriously. The dude can be boring. Some of us feel like, man, I just get more of God when I sing. Why preaching? The dude's boring at times. Why preaching? When I study the Bible, I get more connection with God. I learn more about God. When I have my personal time and I pray, I get more connected with God. Why preaching? Why preaching? I mean, when I want to get to know people and connect more deeply with people, it's not on Sundays here. It's outside of Sundays during the week. Why preaching? And Peter says, hear these words. Preaching is not an explanation, and that's why a lot of preaching is boring. You know, it's interesting, there's a guy who's probably considered one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, a guy named Spurgeon. You all remember that guy? Some of you remember him? And then there's this other guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he comes hundreds of years after, but in the same town of London. And he was called, like, the last of the Puritans, the, the, the last of a Spurgeon-type preacher. You know what he said about his preaching? 
I wouldn't cross the street to hear me preach. But thousands would. Why preaching? Because preaching is not an explanation. Preaching is a deed, a doing. It gets things done. Preaching is a divine event where God breaks into your life. Hear these words. One theologian says it this way, the only thing dead people can use is the resurrection from the dead. Explanations do not raise the dead. Explanations like shouting instructions to someone drowning does not save the drowning person. Listen, listen, a little more this way. Can you get your head to the... He goes on to say, the spirit resurrects the dead through a preacher recklessly giving a new word that counteracts the old word of the law or of explanation, exhortation, and commands. What is done with the spirit's word cannot be done with anyone else's words. Hear these words. The Apostle Paul, the Bible, God is saying to you and me right now, hear these words. These words loosen chains. What holds you back? Verse 22, back up there again. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus. I just, want, I just want us to see and notice what's not there. Another thing that great preacher used to say, he says, listen, you can't just tell people what's true. You have to tell them what's not true or they'll never get what's true. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. What's not there? Hear these words. Be like Abraham. Hear these words. Do like David. Every time I hear that, I want to know, which part am I supposed to do like David? The Bathsheba part? The Uriah part? The Goliath part? The writing of the Psalms part? Which part am I supposed to do like David? Hear these words. Bible before breakfast. Hear these words. Be holy. Hear these words. Feel more. Hear these words. Surrender all. Hear these words. Jesus. 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 Hear these words. The first sermon ever preached is about Jesus. Two quick practical helps. How do you loosen what holds you back? Hearing words about Jesus. Oh, wait, wait, Jeff, come on. Let's get practical. Practical. How do I loosen what holds me back? Hear these words about Jesus. Hear more about Jesus, not less about Jesus. What do you need? Hear more about Jesus, not less about Jesus. 
What do I need here? More about Jesus, not less about Jesus. What does my marriage need? More about Jesus, not less about Jesus. What does your parenting need? Hear more about Jesus, not less of Jesus. What about the way you interact with the world? Hear more about Jesus, not less about Jesus. Hear these words, Jesus. Second quick practical help, be a nobody. You are free to be a nobody. Peter is saying to everyone who will hear this, real Christianity is about Jesus, not you. You're free to be a nobody. Do you know that Peter never got over a certain words that Jesus said to him one time? It was directed, I think, right to Peter, but it was hitting the other 11 while they were there, and then it's hitting us, and then it's hitting whoever comes after us. Jesus says to Peter, says to the other 11, says to you and me, and says to the rest of church history, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Peter. And Peter goes, it got into his bones and it got into his blood and he started thinking and feeling and believing I'm a nobody and it's the best news I ever heard. Apart from him, I am nothing. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And in fact, what I do apart from him is nothing. Be a nobody. You're free to be a nobody. What holds you back? For a lot of us, for most of us, for me, for 99% of us, it's you. It's me. We hold each other back. All God needs to make a Christian is a nobody. All God needs to grow a Christian is a nobody. All God needs to use a Christian is a nobody. All God needs to loosen your chains is a nobody. A nobody. What holds you back? Let's look at 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus. And then we go through explanations about Jesus. Then let's go to 23. This Jesus. Okay, so he said some things, and now we're at this Jesus. So it's a, it's a run-on sentence for you English teachers. This Jesus delivered up. Okay, got that? We focused on what happened after that on Friday night. You can go listen to that another time. We're focusing on that first part. I want you to see that that delivered up literally means handed over. So this Jesus handed over. But here's what's so breathtaking. It blew me away. I don't know how many times I've looked at this text. And I looked up, I've even preached this text before. Never saw it. See that handed over? It's not a verb. It's not Jesus handed over. It's an adjective that's modifying Jesus. Jesus, the handed over one. Do you know what this means? This means, who is Jesus? Do you want to know who he is? Do you want to know what real Christianity is about? Do you want pure Christianity? Who is he? The handed over one. The handed over one is his nature. The handed over one is his very being. The handed over one is his person. There's no separation between who Jesus is and what he's done. They have been welded together as one. Handed over is primarily not about what Jesus does. Handed over is primarily about who Jesus is. 
He's the handed over one. Who is Jesus? The handed over one. So what holds you back? Whatever it is, Jesus completely identifies with it. He's the handed over one. Whatever it is, Jesus was handed over to it. Whatever it is, Jesus took whatever holds you back into his very being, into his very person. Paul says he became it. Jesus is the handed over one for you. Do you see what this means? I, I mean, I don't even know if I can, like, I feel so inadequate even trying to explain this because it's so beautiful and it's so breathtaking, and I, I want to get it, and I want you to get it. Do you see what this means? Whatever holds you back is no longer yours. It is his. Whatever holds you back is no longer yours. It is his. Your despair is now his. Your depravity is now his. Your failure is now his. Your loss is now his. Your sorrow is now his. Your laments towards God are now his. That's unbelievable. Do you feel your chains loosening? Your sin debt is a chain of death. Paul says the wages of sin is death. It's just, I, I think sometimes it's so complicated, we don't get it, or we, it's so, it sounds so legal, we still don't get it. Here's the best way that I have found that helps me. If God is life, if you turn away from life, from God, what else is there? No life. Where are we going? Death. If God is light, and I turn away from light, what else is there? Darkness. If God is love, and I turn away from love, what else is there? Alienation, loneliness, rejection, abandonment, exile. The wages, that's called death. So what Jesus has done is he takes your sin debt, your sin debt, which is this debt of when you turn away from God, you've got a debt now of death, of darkness, of alienation, separation from God. It's his now. It's his now. And your depravity, because when you turn away from God who's life, now you start decreating as a human being. Remember, God's righteous and holy. He's perfect and good. Uh, to be like him is to be a flourishing human being. To not be with him, to reject him, is now to deflourish. It's now to decreate. It's now to become a zombie. 
Jesus became that for you. It's his now. And then there's all these comprehensive deaths that accompany this, right? It's not just, you know, we think in these categories, oh, spiritual death. It's still like, ah, that doesn't connect with me. Physical death, it's connecting to me more as I get older. My neck issues. Okay. There's eternal death. That's scary. Don't want that. But the ones that actually point to those things are all the little deaths you experience in life, like the death of your dreams and the death of a relationship. That's a death. Despair, a death. Sorrow, a death. There are a multiplicity of little deaths that go on every single day, every moment of the day, and you know that to be true. They're his. Whatever holds you back is no longer yours. It is his. Jesus is the handed over one. What holds you back? What happens next, let's go to verse 24. What happens next is what we call Easter. This Jesus that was up in 23, trust me, it was there. God raised him up, loosing loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Here's what I want you to see. God raised him up. Do you see the loosening? That's a very nice word, but it's an incredibly violent word. In the original language, it literally means to reduce something, to destroy it, to abolish it, to kill it, to bring it it to an end with violence. The pictures of the illustrations and all the ancient Greek manuscripts are things like the whole cosmos absolutely crumbling to pieces until there's no peace left. It's a building shattering and breaking so there's no pieces left. The way I think of it is like an end game. Remember when... Thanos snapped his fingers and everyone started turning to dust. That's what happens. He loosens the chains of death violently. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is called the rising So far, everything we've seen in 23 and 24 is in past tense because it's a historical event. Crucified, killed, died. These are past historical events. These are past historical events, and you know what that means? This is incredibly good news. It means they're done. It means it's finished. It means it's over. It means he won. You don't have to die. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't do anything. He did everything. Good news is news about what someone else has done for you. Good news is not good advice. Good advice is telling you what to do. Good news is telling you it's done. Good advice says, listen, you need to fight for your life. Good news says someone already did and he won. Good news is you get a received righteousness. Good advice is you need to achieve your righteousness. Good news is the performance of another. Good advice is you better perform. Good news is about who he is and what he's done. Good advice is you better be better and you better do better. This is good news. He did it. 
So, so far, right now, everything's been in the historical past. And then all of a sudden, in verse 24, something incredible happens that's never been done before. We move into the present tense. And the question is, why? What's happening? Because it was not possible for him. Here comes the present tense. Do you see it? To be held by it. That is present tense. It is like God wants to take you into a place no one has ever gone before except one human being. He takes you into the realm of the dead, and he's saying, look around. Look at the chains. Look at everything that holds you back. Feel it. Touch them. Touch the chains. Smell it. Taste it. Disgusting. And you're saying, well, why are we here, God? Why would you do this? Why would you take us into the valley or the realm of the dead? Because someone is rising. Present tense. Because the handed over one is rising from the dead. It's never happened before. How can this be, we say? I mean, how can this be, God? How can this even happen? And Peter says, because it's not possible for death to hold him. I mean, if I had a revivalistic voice, I would boom this. I would roar this. Peter roars, death could not hold him. And we are like, yeah, you know, like at a football game that you just won. Actually, like the big of all football games you just won. Jesus shakes off death. It's just, it's almost anticlimactic because it's so, remember what we said violently? When he, when he rose, it was just violent ripping of chains of all death. And he just shakes it off like it was a June bug that sticks to you in June. And you know what? That's what he just did to everything that holds you back. What holds you back? You know what Jesus says? Nothing. 